Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Koki Chronicles podcast. Yes, we are already 12 episodes into the show. Um, on today's episode, I was joined by play-by-play man and Blaze Radio extraordinaire Peyton Gallagher to talk about Super Bowl 55. And wow, was it really a shocking game. Uh, if you listen to our Super Bowl preview, uh, I boldly predicted that the game wouldn't even be close for the Chiefs, and yet the Bucks blew them out. Um, tells you how much I know. Anyway, uh, Peyton's also a pretty big Chiefs fan, so it was um, really interesting to getting to hear his perspective on the game um, from a fan side. So you're certainly going to hear a bunch of that and more. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Peyton. Hopping now on the podcast is Peyton Gallagher, um, known Chiefs fan and someone who had some cautious optimism, a a cautious skepticism, I should say, about the Chiefs offensive line heading into this game. Um, Full disclosure, I totally forgot uh, you knew that much about the Chiefs heading um, before I asked you to hop onto this podcast, so... uh, yeah, so I'm just gonna let you rip here. What are your thoughts on Super Bowl Fifty Five? Oh, I feel like for starters, thanks, Koki, for having me. But uh, this is gonna be kind of you know that um, the meme from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where the guy is like pointing at the whiteboard and there's <laughs> yarn going and all that. That's gonna be me today um, because it, it was a dense game. And when you ask that, it's a loaded question because I've got to separate you know, this Jekyll and Hyde of me being a Chiefs fan and me being just an observer of football. And I'm going to do my best to give you a little taste of both perspectives today. I think a lot, uh, like I couldn't go on Twitter and Instagram for a solid two days because we're just now getting back to a point where I can get back on those apps because uh, just a lot of the, um, narratives going around I feel like we're a little frustrating to look at um at first glance um I'm just gonna kind of open it up to you actually where do you want to start let's make this a conversation all righty um I kind of want to start with how wrong I was how wrong I saw that Carson was Carson Brever that is how wrong I saw Gabe Schwartz who was also on the show was smart people Um, I we I guess we were all on the on the wagon of this game is going to be ugly. This game's going to be a blowout. Tampa Bay has not shown us once all season or all postseason that they can put together four quarters as dominantly as they did last night. Mm-hmm. And yes, Mahomes may be pressured, but there isn't a quarterback in the league who's better under pressure than he is. Um, the Bucks secondary has been their weakness all season, and it's probably going to rear its ugly head in this game. And Brady's 43 years old, and the moment he's pressured, he stinks. And all, yeah. all the Chiefs need to do is, is like, you know, get like two feet close, get like close to him, and he's done. Yeah. So, with all those factors, it just seemed like a slam dunk, and everything flipped on its head. Literally, everything flipped on its head. Yeah, I'm no. just stunned. Like, how did this happen? I, I think that's the that's the one repeating theme in my mind. Yeah, it took me a second to process it because before the game, I was texting actually, in fact, with Gabe, um, who was way more confident and generally is just way more confident than I am. I, I'm the one who last year he had to temper me all throughout the NFC title game because I'm like, it's the prophecy. They just lose to the Titans in weird ways. As soon as the Titans came out of the other side of the bracket, my confidence went from 100 to zero. Of course, they won that AFC title game. And it's like, okay, 
Pat is the one that breaks the Chiefs curse because what people don't realize is the amount of playoff heartbreak that this fan base had to go through to get to this point is astronomical, like Saints level bad. Um, when you talk about losing a game to the Steelers at home in a playoff game in which they didn't score a touchdown, you scored two touchdowns and you still lost. Um, the Marcus Mariota, I'm going to throw a touchdown to myself game with all kinds of weird and bad officiating in that one. Um, and, and then, of course, the I'm going to line up off sides and D Ford. We're going to lose to Brady um, game in the AFC title two years ago. So Pat kind of dispelled a lot of that stuff. So he gives you an intrinsic confidence. Gabe felt that a lot more than I did, obviously, because he texted me before the game and I agreed with this. There are only three outcomes to this game. The Chiefs win a close one. Tampa somehow is able to win in a close one and the Chiefs wanted to blow out. There's no way that Tampa Bay is blowing out Kansas City. I agreed with that. I think everybody agreed with that, honestly. I, I didn't see one person that actually I, I trust their opinion um, that like really watches football saying, and not to be an elitist with this opinion, but I didn't see anybody that I really respected their opinion saying, this is going to be a blowout for Tampa and here's yeah. why, right? Um, I, there are people who pick Tampa. I don't think anybody thought that they had the firepower to do this. I There are a lot of reasons why this happened the way it did in post, kind of doing the, the post-mortem autopsy of this game. Um, reason number one is I bet on the Chiefs defense because I thought the Chiefs would have a lead. This defense is one that is underrated, but is designed to play a certain kind of way. That is to take risks, to gamble a lot, disguise and roll coverages on the back end and confuse you mm -hmm. you can't do that if the other team is able to run the football which seems really simple and this whole thing has been made a lot of bones have been made about why you can't run the football against the Chiefs but the reason that is is the Chiefs are generally playing with the lead so that closes down half your playbook and being able to run the football is like giving true serum to a defense you have to play it way more head up you have to play it way more honestly because you can disguise things with pressures, but if you're running the football, they're bringing the fight to you and you got to react instead of dictating. And that's where the Chiefs defense kind of came unwound is that because Tampa Bay was in a position where they could run the clock with a lead in the second half, run the ball consistently, they couldn't do anything that they're designed to do. And their personnel is just not good enough to win one-on-one -on -one consistently against a capable offense like that. So that's what happened on the defensive end. That goes hand-in-hand. -hand. So th this was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy throughout the game and why it kind of spiraled out of control in my mind. I think if you play this game 100 times, it probably doesn't go this exact perfect storm of events way for Tampa, but 10 of those times, right? But it did, and you can't denigrate that. And I know I'm going for a long time here, but... The other thing is, and I'm actually going to blame Patrick Mahomes for this a little bit because everybody was so awestricken with some of the throws that he was able to make, incompletions, whatever, what have you. The thing that got to me was that although he was doing all striking things outside of the pocket and he was pressured on more passing attempts, a higher percentage of passing attempts than any quarterback in the Super Bowl era, I think it was like 36 to 51 dropbacks or something like that. While as Brady on the opposing side was pressured the least amount of any starter in a Super Bowl, I think it was like four of 30. Um, I think the thing with Pat was he was that toe injury has been a problem throughout the postseason, if you really paid attention with his mechanics and stepping into throws. And he played through it beautifully and very toughly. But the thing with Pat is, and this has happened multiple times throughout his career, as good as he is, 
at times when he stops to trust, stops trusting the offensive line, he is very gun shy and quick to flee the pocket. Who am I at, at my stature at five, nine average Joe walking around to say, you got to stand in there and take hits from Vita Bay and Shaq Barrett consistently. Like I, I couldn't do that, but there were opportunities from clean pockets that he vacated early because he didn't trust his offensive line for good reason that disrupted the, the flow of the offense. And when you do that, Koki, when you roll out to the left or right, that's effectively shutting off half of the reads. The mm-hmm. other side, of, because you're not going to coil back and throw the ball against the grain diagonally to the opposite side of the field. And when the Bucks were playing so much zone coverage that they were, the difference in that is that when the scramble drill happens, the defensive backs are looking at the quarterback and not the receiver. So they're able to kind of conglomerate and seal off these reads downfield. And that's why all these quote unquote drops, there's a miracle the ball got in, but he's throwing into impossible windows with two, three guys draped on the receiver. And that's because they're reading him. And I think part of that is why the offense struggled so much is because when that happens and the play breaks down, the rhythm gets all thrown off. The timing gets thrown off. And I think if you were able to hang in some of those pockets, you see the chiefs a little bit more prolific offensively, but there's a lot more to this game. Those were the two big schematic points I kind of took away from it, though. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree. Um, I do what kind of want to add on to both in um, that, especially when the Chiefs were on offense and, you know, Mahomes was in the pocket. I don't know if you saw the stat. You probably did. But Mahomes was pressured on over half of his dropbacks in this yeah. game, yeah. which is Not great an unseemly number and 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 it's and it's a lot of it's a testament to how brilliant of a defensive uh, game plan Tampa Bay had in this game but some of it was just bad offensive line play and just getting destroyed on both sides of the line of scrimmage and I think that kind of goes to what you were saying on for both the Chiefs defense and the Chiefs offense and that they couldn't control this game because they got absolutely destroyed on the line of scrimmage it's hard to stop the run you know, and it's hard to be really ball hawk and be aggressive in the secondary when you're just getting destroyed on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and Ronald cool. Jones is able to run up the gut for eight yards in every single yep. carry. Um, yep. So I, and then on the flip, and then then again on the flip side, if Mahomes can't be in the pocket for more than one second yep. because Shaq Barrett's on on one side and Jason Pierre-Paul's on the other side clamping down on him, I was actually impressed with Mahomes that he only got sacked three times in the game. Oh, yeah. That's what he's done all year, Koki. It, it, it is remarkable because with this offensive line, and I'm going to make another point here, mm-hmm. there's been a lot made about the tackles, and rightfully so. I mean, that tackle tandem, when they are healthy, coming into the year was one of the two or three best with maybe what they have in New Orleans, a couple other spots in the entire NFL. Like, it is part of why this offense operates at such a high level is because Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz are two guys that are all pro caliber every year. But it wasn't just those two guys. That's the thing that everybody's missing. It's that throughout the course of the year, your depth was whittled away because you drafted Lucas Niang out of TCU in the third round with the intention of him being a swing, auxiliary, tackle that could play some guard, could play whatever you needed him to. Um, and you would ultimately develop him because they're going to be up, and we can talk about this later, what the Chiefs do next. There are going to be some cap implications that come into effect this year that make them prone down the roster. He was supposed to be the guy who was up next, fill in a tackle or guard or wherever they needed him. He opted out before the year. Fairly famously, also Laurent Duvernay Tardif, who's been the starting guard for this team for a very long time, five plus years, um, he opted out to go and work in hospitals 
I mean, and righteously so, like commend the guy for what he did, made the right choice, but he opted out too. So now you're down four of your projected starting five offensive linemen coming into the year, not to mention also the guy that they brought in to replace those people who opted out, Coletio Semele, tore his ACE, I think both ACLs actually, during the course of the season very early on. So your depth was gone. You're down, we're talking five guys that were going to start for you coming into this game. So the stack got thrown up against Cleveland that aside from Eric Fisher, the Chiefs were starting no players drafted before the seventh round on the offensive line. And I didn't think that was going to be that big an issue because like you said, Pat only got sacked twice in this game. He only got sacked 25 times the entire year. It was fifth best in the league. And that's just, he's the best at evading pressure in the history of the NFL. But when it's like this, like you said, it's kind of impossible for him to do anything, you know? Yeah, and it's hard to, you know, get it quickly out to your receivers when your whole offense, especially on first and second down, is predicated, and especially when you're stuck in third and longs, predicated on throwing it deep, you know? Oh, for sure. And when you can't control the line of scrimmage, you can't run the ball really either. And say you can, you know, run – let's run some screens to Hilaire, right? You can't do that because the Chiefs – because although the Bucs are playing too high – they're not playing a zone and they're not blitzing. Right. So you can't really do, you can't really run screens on man to man. So <laughs> I don't know. It was just kind of the perfect game plan. Right. And and I had a big issue with, I know why he won Super Bowl MVP. And you can make all the arguments you want about him deserving it. But the reason I personally believe that Devin White should have been Super Bowl MVP was the, the correct answer to what the Bucs were doing defensively was to really take advantage of the quick game and the, the underneath space that they were giving you trying to take away that deep stuff to Tyree kill. And that was erased because Devin white and Levante David were so fast. The edges were shutting stuff down in the middle and coverage and it made it impossible because normally you start seeing the chiefs use some tunnel screens to Michael Hardman, Tyree Hill, even Clyde, like you said, um, using that RPO game, to try and loosen up the middle of that defense by landing a couple body shots in the passing game over the middle five yard run after catch, hopefully tight plays. You know, you get Kelsey going on that quick little, I'm going to just turn around and catch the ball and fall forward for six yards type offense. And then that was gone because Devin white and Levante David erased all of it. And they're just, like you said, there was no outlet for the Chiefs. The right answer was to run the football, but they got behind too big early, and that got taken off the table too. It really just was a compounding effect of nightmarish scenarios playing out for the Chiefs that resulted in a blowout that nobody saw coming. Yeah, and I give credit for to the Bucks secondary for actually playing really disciplined football and not, not really taking the bait, which is what every team does after – say a couple quarters <laughs> or say a half when yeah. it seems like, Oh, they have a really good game plan coming in. Right. And then the game loosens yeah. up and all of a sudden they're scoring points. I mean, look at that. It, even like a really good example of this and really obvious example is, is really every time the Pats, the Patriots play the chiefs where it seems like they have a pretty good game plan. They keep Tyreek Hill in front of them. They run doubles and then, all right, they'll break it out for a play or two. And all of a sudden the floodgates are open and it's a high scoring game. <laughs> Um, both teams have over 20 points in the third quarter. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just think that when you get destroyed in the line of scrimmage and 
um, on both sides of the ball, especially defense, especially offensively, and mm-hmm. and the combined with the with the Bucks secondary and White Devin White just running around making plays, Levante David playing awesome defense on Travis Kelsey. It's really hard to score points. It's kind of impossible to score points, and that's kind of what we saw. saw. So I, I actually don't blame Mahomes almost at all because I think most most of the time he was uh, running out of the pocket. It was actually worth it. You know, he was actually pressured, and it wasn't like I'm, I don't know, uh, say like a Mitch Trubisky situation where he wasn't right. actually pressured and he's going out of the pocket. But yeah. like, Anderson. again, it was just it was so impressive to watch that that Bulls defense, and he had just such a brilliant game plan going on. And I don't, wow, it was. Yeah, I, I, I just give them so much credit. Right. No, and, and Todd Bowles should be an NFL head coach. I mean, look at where the Jets were close to double-digit wins with him as head coach and how quickly it fell apart as soon as he was gone. I know there were more factors than just him not being there, but Todd Bowles should be a head coach uh, in the NFL somewhere. He is more qualified than a lot of guys in the league, and I'm not going to, you know, dive into the whole dynamic of that, but I'm just going to, you know, kind of leave that there. Um I will say this, the other guy who's not getting enough credit is Vita Bea, because I think it was kind of unsung how important, I think he's their best defender. Maybe Devin White, but, and Jack Bear is getting a lot of credit, and rightfully so, but the reason he, at 6'2", is able to be so dominant is because of his quickness and the fact that you can't ship or double team because Vita Bea is hitting two blocks on the inside, and if you don't double him, He's going to bull rush, bench press a guy into Pat's lap and disrupt the play that that way. His gap discipline was so good, making sure Pat couldn't step up some of the time because the natural response when you've got those elite edge rushers is not to step out. It's to step up in the pocket, and Pat couldn't do that because Vita Vea was right there. Big 300-pound Polynesian dude with his hair hanging out, making everything impossible. Mm -hmm. So he was fantastic as well. I really wish they had given the ball to him on that fourth and goal because he was a running back in high school. So it would have just been cool to see big man get in the end zone in the Super Bowl. But um, yeah, no, I, I just think this had so much more to do with the Bucks defense than it did their offense. I mean, of course it did. They held the best offense in the history of football to nine points. They didn't score a touchdown for the first time in the Mahomes era. Like this was one of, I don't know if people are appreciating it for what it is because they're caught up in the mysticism of Brady winning seven, but this was the best individual and team defensive performance I have seen in my football viewing experience. Like, I don't think we are going to see something like this maybe ever again. Um, I think there's a chance we see it again, just because we're, we're pretty young and I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like, maybe it's hyperbolic, but it, like it, it, we're talking like, about an offense that scores like 30 plus per game easily. Yeah. Like they, they take the field and they've got 30 points scored nine and crossed midfield six times and didn't score a touchdown once. That's incredible. That's like, an incredible stat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just unbelievable. And like, I'm smiling through the pain right now because <laughs> like, yeah, it sucks that she's got obliterated in a Super Bowl And like, you're wondering about what this means for Mahomes legacy and what's next, whatever. As a football fan, just watching the Bucks defense is something that I really appreciated throughout because the game plan was uh, worthy of being hung in the Louvre and it was just ridiculous. It was ridiculous yeah. watching this defense. Oh yeah. Um, Robert Mays on the, on the athletic NFL show said it was the best playoff defensive performance he's ever seen. Yeah. And that guy knows a thing or two about football. So yeah. I, I tend to agree that it's the best 
probably the best defensive performance I've seen since watch since I've started watching football in the playoffs. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other candidates too, but just given the team that they were going up against and how utterly dominant they thought we thought they would be in this game, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to say otherwise, right? Um, let's talk about the flip side a little bit. Uh, maybe not specifically Brady, who I thought was good in like the sixth yeah. reason why they won this game. Not the first, yeah. the first, second, third, and fourth reasons why they won this game all played on the Bucks defense. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that includes Todd Bowles. So I, I, I look at this Bucks offense and, you know, they were pretty solid. They ran the ball. Brady, you know, didn't make any mistakes. They, they right. couldn't really make any big plays downfield like they usually do offensively, but they got Gronk involved and it was a pretty simple game plan. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that, see, this is like a duplicitous opinion here because although I think Brady's getting more credit than he deserves for what he actually did on the field for this team, because in large parts of the season, he hurt them. Uh, the second half against green Bay, he was awful. Yeah. Uh, you know, but to his credit, and I think this is a lot closer to what happened for Manning at the end with Denver, where a team kind of carried him to a ring as the alternative, which he did throughout his career, um, which has carried teams to Super Bowls. Brady's done the same thing. I think that he taught this team how to win. And that's something that you can't necessarily quantify. Like you can look at the history of this team. And I know they brought in some other components from outside the outside to uh, help bolster this team. But a lot of these guys were in house like Levante, David career Buccaneer, the can sue somebody who was signed before Brady arrived. Shaq Barrett, they had the foresight to identify when he was in Denver, getting overshadowed by Vaughn Miller and some of the other guys they had there to say, that's a primo pass rusher. We're going to go get that guy. And he developed into that. You know, they drafted Vita Bay and they drafted all these guys. They Godwin, I mean, uh, Mike Evans, all of that was in-house. And it, it's a younger team and they couldn't win. And as weird as it sounds, Jameis Winston might be a more talented passer of the football than Brady is at this point. But what Brady did is he taught them what as maybe stupid and dumbed down as this sounds and speculative, even he taught that team how to win. He taught that team what it took. Probably right. And they did. And like, I almost feel just a memeology here, but you know, that, that meme with like the Ninja Turtles and master splinter, I feel like this is a second picture where it's like little master splinter walking the Ninja Turtles off into the, the horizon and like he's taught this team, this team kind of grew up throughout the year without a real offseason, without a preseason, got better and better and better. And they got the opportunity in this game and they came out more prepared to execute the game plan they had and it went their way. And Brady is a big part of why that team had the fortitude, focus and composure to do that against an opponent that they were outmatched by. The Chiefs were a better football team. They just did not have the opportunity to play like it because of how this team was prepared. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I mean, you could say that, oh, it was Arians and Arians taught them how to win. I mean, Arians has tons of ex- coaching experience and has been a winner, although he may not have a Super Bowl. He's, he's been a winner, right? He got Arizona to the NFC Championship game, blah, 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 right? Sometimes you need that guy in-house. And in-house, I mean on the roster. Um, and Brady brings that. Gronk even brings that. Um, so when you add in those two guys especially Brady then you finally get a guy who's at least somewhat on the level of the players who knows what it takes to 
you know, win in the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl, to win the Super Bowl. And that's really valuable. And I feel like that's something that people aren't talking a ton because they're, I think people, when we're talking, when they're talking about Brady and what he's done this postseason, they, they're talking about his performances, even though, as you said, and as we covered on the podcast a uh, couple weeks back, he was awful in the second half of the NFC championship game. He was just very bad and they should have lost that game. Um, to be totally honest, like if I'm a Packers fan, I'm kicking myself in the foot being like, you know, with the right game plan, we could have won the Super Bowl, you know? It, 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 yeah. It, so I, 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 I'm just, I, I'm, I'm just really impressed. Uh, at, I, I'm, I've been impressed all year with Brady um, ever since after what was a, like a really rocky start for him. Um, because not just because of that yeah. leadership, I mean, he was really good on the field. He had 40 touchdown passes ahead and hadn't done that. I think since 2007 at the throwing at least 40 touchdown passes in a season. Mm-hmm. And for a 43 year old, that's, right. I mean, simply put, that's really impressive no matter how, how good your weapons are on the outside. Right. Um, but he wasn't perfect either. He wasn't oh. the reason why they won this game. And he wasn't the main reason why they even got to the Super Bowl. even though I do think he was better than what Manning was when he won his second with the Broncos. Totally agree. Um, but at, I mean, I, 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 I kind of feel the same as you do right now in terms of trying to figure out what kind of praise to give him, because a lot of people are, have been, are overrating his achievements um, this season. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, we should give him credit. So like, I'm kind of on the fence. Like, yeah, yeah I think it, you can look at the nuance of it, right? Because in this individual year in a vacuum, Brady was not that good, but the fact that when we talk, and this is, I'm stealing a point from Ryan Rosillo, but when we talk about the game of football in a hundred years, if the NFL still exists, Tom Brady will be a guy that's at the top of that discussion. He has been in the Super Bowl in virtually every other year since he entered the league. That is impossible. That should not be something somebody can accomplish. And he's done it. And the fact that he was the starting quarterback on a team that won the Super Bowl that went from not being a playoff team consistently until he arrived there this year at the age that he's at should not be possible. So I, in a vacuum, not that impressive what he did in the grand scheme of things. One of the most impressive things we've ever seen. And the fact that I've seen a lot of people thrown around that the chiefs were overconfident to that. I say, what are you talking about? The chiefs, the entirety of the year, pretty much in games that they were trying to win went 16 and one, um, and the only time that they looked vulnerable were in games against teams that they frankly just didn't take that seriously. When they played their best competition, they destroyed them. In the playoffs, they absolutely, aside from, you know, when Chad Henney had to step in, and I'm sad that Henney thing is possible, is not going to be etched into the NFL lore of what the Chiefs dynasty could be. It still could be that, um, but Against the Browns, like that game would have been a three-score game if Pat stays in. Against the Bucs, absolutely dominant. Um, This was the best team that Brady has ever seen. And you can say the Chiefs were overconfident. Rightfully so. They destroyed everybody, including Tampa. Including Tampa. And you can say, well, of course, they weren't going to give the same game plan. And that's fine. Um, And Tampa was more healthy than they were then. And the Chiefs were less healthy when they were um, in that Tampa game, that first game. But... That said, they just out-executed, a, a, in my mind, a superior opponent. 
Um, I don't think the Chiefs were overconfident in anything. There was a lot of turmoil going on around the team. I'm not making excuses. Um, there were a couple bad decisions made in the course of the game. And, and Tampa I really just, again, played a flawless game of football. There was no major mistake from Tampa of any substance. And I, I just don't – this says so much more, I think, about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers than it does about the Kansas City Chiefs. I agree. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, I do want to ask you this because I know a lot of people are, are moaning – right now in Chiefs Twitter about the officiating. Um, I know a lot of 49ers fans are like, well, where was it last year? And to that, I I admit my bias, but I also say those aside from the third and long play that those aren't holdings. Like you can put two hands on a guy's back as long as you don't extend because like what else is an offensive lineman supposed to do anyway? What do you think about how Carl Sheffers called this game? He wasn't very good. There were certainly quite a few calls that, you know, kind of raised my eyebrow. I, I thought they were really, um, really sensitive with a couple of those holding calls. Um, I think the Chiefs, to me, the Chiefs probably got the wrong end of the stick on most of the calls in this game, to be totally honest with you. Um, and they got, and, and I think the the pass interference on Evans was just unlucky. Um, yeah, was it was really a pass interference. It was a pass, like, with, I don't get what Tony Barely got him on the leg. And I think like, Evans it was, definitely embellished it. But, yeah. Yeah. No, no, it was, it was an intentional take that because Breland was seeing shades of Kevin King getting cooked at the end of last, the NFC title game, uh, halftime touchdown to Miller. He was like, Oh no, I can't let this happen to me. So he did what all NFL corners do. And instead of giving up the touchdown, took the guy down and gave up the 60 yards on the pass interference or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I don't, anyway, digressing, continue your point. Sorry for interluding. <laughs> um, but I, I here's the thing with the whole refereeing thing. The one play in this game that pretty much like eliminates all complaints about referees came in the second quarter on what was supposed to be a field goal attempt for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I forgot who exactly was lined up offsides for the Chiefs, but he was lined up no. off offsides and offsides. And in the very next play, the Bucs score touchdown. When you're giving up plays like that, yeah. you don't deserve the win, honestly. Yeah. Um, you can maybe get rid of, get, get, get away with one of those a game, but when something like that happens, it's hard to complain about, Oh, the refs took the game away from us when you're lining up offsides on field goal attempts. Sure. No. And I, I, to be fair, I, I am not saying that the officiating is the 21 point margin of this game or whatever, because that would just be foolish and the, being a sore loser. And it was, I mean, it impacted the game, and who knows what happens if the game's closer because, I mean, you just can't quantify the butterfly effect in game flow. But that said, I mean, I was pretty shocked at the field goal offside being called. Um, that happens on every kick in the NFL, and it's not called for a key situation like that. I understand it's the Super Bowl, and you want to ratchet up the um, stringentness. I just was pretty shocked because it was not egregious and – yeah, I was just pretty turned around by that call. The thing that I want to note is that the Chiefs are very uh, – Tony Romo described it as sticky coverage. They're very handsy. They know their personnel. They like to play a lot of man coverage. They don't give you much space. Um, and they're very good at te- technique-wise not extending on those holdings so that it doesn't look obvious. It's not like they've got a handful of cloth trailing a dude. Um, Carl Sheppers, the Chiefs were penalized. 10 or more times in five games this year, Carl Sheffers officiated three of those. And I'm not trying to say that Carl Sheffers has something against the Chiefs. 
I think his interpretation of the rule of holding is a little bit predatory against teams that play coverage like the Chiefs, right? There aren't a lot of officials in the league that call it like that, but he is one of them, and it worked against them. And I just think that in the moment that that's significant, I don't think it changed the outcome of the game, but I do think it's part of the context that we need to look at that he chooses to view the rule that way, and that works against the Chiefs. I can't talk specifically because of how they play defense in the back end. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I think that they were, I I thought like the holding, especially in the secondary, like there's a couple of those calls. It was just kind of like, you don't call these in the Super Bowl. Usually they'll, usually they let them play in the Super Bowl. And it was kind of confusing to me as to why they were calling those plays. But I don't know. To me, it just, I I don't think it would have mattered on honestly. I I mean, maybe that like the bucks got to get like 10 less points at, like best right because right. it was mostly when the bucks were on offense when these calls were being right. made so i i i but like if you right. I mean, if you can't score a touchdown yeah you you don't one. you're absolutely right yeah i i would just say that it influenced game flow and momentum because it seemed like the chiefs defense would get a stop and then because if you remember the first two drives, the Bucks spun their wheels and couldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, these whole they had a beautifully articulated, like one of the best play calling drives I've ever seen to score their first touchdown. But then after that, it's just like all these holdings came on like third downs or plays after the Chiefs were like getting them into third and long, where the Bucks aren't that great, right? Um, like that holding in the end zone too before halftime to move the ball to the I think it was actually called a pass interference to move the ball to the one yard line right ahead of halftime, where it's like that ball genuinely was uncatchable. Like it hit the wall in the back of the end zone before touching the ground. Like, how are you going to call that in the Super Bowl? It was moments like that, that had you as a Chiefs fan going like, Oh my God, here we go again. Because every time it felt like the Chiefs were taking momentum in comes the flag. And that part I will say was frustrating. I think it was frustrating to make the the product that choppy as just a viewer that had no stake in the game. Right? Like, what was your opinion? Would you have rather that you kind of expressed it, but like, would you have rather them just not called it that way? Like maybe just cut it in half the amount of calls. That's my thing with sports. I, I just, I just would rather have them play. If it's really egregious, make the call, but I, I prefer a flow to the game. You know, mm-hmm. I prefer you know, some physicality in my football, in my football watching experience. Um, I'm okay. If, the guy might've tugged him a little bit and it wasn't the call wasn't made because then we can move on to the next play and there's some momentum that's added onto the game. But if we're doing flags every five seconds, then the product gets a lot boring for me and it feels unnecessary in the moment. And it hurt and it really, and it sometimes it might even really affect the outcome of the game. So I'm for less penalties in general. Mm-hmm. So I, I like it when they play. So I don't know about you, but yeah. I, I, I have trouble seeing why people would disagree with that at the same time. Right. And I, I mean, again, Romo, I've got my bones to pick with Romo. He's an ex-quarterback and he always advocates for the holding call, right? Because that's what he would have wanted. If he were playing, it makes his job a lot easier. But my whole thing with defensive holding and pass interference in the league now, and I know that because of fantasy football, it drives eyes to the sport when there's more scoring. It makes it more entertaining. So the, the league has gamed the rules to help the offense. And, and we all know that we can all see it. Yep. Um, my whole thing with defensive holding and pass interference is if it prevents the guy from making a play on the football, throw the flag. But if a dude is still able to get two hands on the ball, 
It's just playing good defense, right? Like, what are you supposed to do? Just let him catch it, try and make a tackle, hope he drops it, hope for a bad throw. I don't want defense to be played in a way that your objective is not to try and stop them from moving the ball. Your objective is to try and stop them from getting a touchdown because that's where we're moving. We're moving to try and stay on the field for as many plays as possible and improve the mathematical percentage chance of them making a mistake or getting a big sack on a third down or second or third down or throwing a pick or having a big flag because like, it's not about stopping people anymore. It's just surviving long enough to hopefully get something to break your way. That's what yeah. good defense is becoming in the NFL now. Um, and all these, this has happened. This is my opinion on every single one of these holdings. Cause you saw it throughout the league so often this year on third and fourth downs teams getting bailed out by defensive holding again, unless it keeps a guy from making a play on the football, it shouldn't be called. And that's how I felt in this game. And that's how I felt the entire year. I just think that the league is doing too much to help all offenses and it's making. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. Um, do you have any other notes on this game? I, I think we've done a pretty good job of um, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of covering all the bases and I do kind of want to get to like the cap situations for both these teams because I don't think a lot of people are talking about like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. The, the, like the, the implications contractually of like trying to keep these teams, teams together. Um, yeah. Right now I have spot track pulled up for the Kansas city chiefs um, right now. Some of the notable free agents they have heading into this off season include Damien Wilson, the outside linebacker, Bashad Breland, Daniel Sorensen, who I love as a safety, um, yeah. Sammy Watkins, Alex Okafor, I guess, but I yeah, can't. guys who start, but aren't the guys that are on the marquee. Right. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the depth pieces, depth yeah. pieces. Um, I think Watkins is pretty replaceable, to be totally oh, yeah. honest with you. He didn't um, play. He just doesn't play. And that hurts the Chiefs offense a lot, but we can get into that. Yeah, and I, mean, I know he was hobbled heading into this game anyway. So, um, and, but like the only I, – I, I, Breland is fairly replaceable. Yeah, he might be cheap to bring back. Um, <laughs> and the Sorensen, I think, has been, is, is excellent. Every time I watch a Chiefs game, he makes like three plays a game. Yep. And that will be a tough guy to replace. You know, like the you have the you know the perfect playmaker next to Tyron Matthew. So heading into this offseason, really um, the future off seasons, like what should be the Chiefs' priorities in terms of what guys to keep, who to draft, who to get, who to um, let go? Like just kind of break it down for me a little bit. So I'll say this: the big thing about the Chiefs' offense last year is that when guys like Ty- when you did what the Bucks did, and you bracketed. Hill and you're playing these deep soft coverages on Hill to take away the deep stuff. You're committing linebackers to Kelsey is that, well, if you do that, they're just going to throw it to Damian Williams, who again, didn't play. He opted out of the season. Like no team was hit harder by opt outs other than the Patriots and the chiefs this year. Um, And like that release valve wasn't there this year. Guys regressed. I mean, Sammy Watkins was healthy at the back end of last year, which was massive. You saw him make the huge uh, catch against Richard Sherman in the Super Bowl last year. That was gone this year. Sammy Watkins did not play in as many games that he played in this season. Um, it, it was it was not great. And the other guys stepped back because of how good Kelsey and Hill were. The other guys stepped back. So as weird as it sounds, the first thing that Chiefs should look to do, and it's this team is going to get shaken up in a big way. Even with those guys departing, Koki, they're coming into the year about $17 million over the projected cap figure of 185. Yeah. So 
there's going to be a lot of changes. I think there's a couple ways to skin this cat, but if you want me to make a splash and say what I think is on the table and what they could do, I think they could go after Allen Robinson, who's one of the primo free agents on the market. It, it see you say it is the way to sell it, and this is definitely there is some practical logic to this, and there's also some Chiefs fan logic to this. The pitch is Allen Robinson. You have played with Mitchell Trubisky and Blake Bortles. And he's tweeting during the game, man, I want to win a ring. That number 15 through thick and thin is the best quarterback in the NFL. He's liking a bunch of Chiefs tweets, right? If he really wants to win, the Chiefs can do something before these mega mega extensions kick in for Kelsey, Tyreek, and Pat in 2021 and 2022. They can front load a deal into some space that they can create to go get a primo secondary playmaker on the opposite side, which they really need because the other guys just weren't that this year. Demarcus Robinson's gone. Sammy Watkins is gone. Um, and you're not as much as I love Byron Pringle as like a gadget guy. Miko Hardman's not consistent. You probably need a secondary dude. So they'll either look to do that in the draft or they'll look to do that in free agency. The way they can create that space is a little bit harder to swallow. So by releasing Eric Fisher, who's coming off an Achilles injury and, you know, the tackles were a big thing that were brought up throughout this. I mean, Mitchell Schwartz may retire. He's over 30 with a fairly significant back injury. That's been the buzz. By having those two things happen, and there's a couple other maneuverable things that you can do, you can clear up about 18 to uh, $20 million worth of space. And one of those things is going to happen. Fisher and Schwartz will, I almost guarantee, both of them will not be back next year. One of them may be, but both of them will not. Um so you can clear up about 18 or so million dollars in space to go get a one, two, three year deal that's front loaded for Allen Robinson in place. So that's why it's not impossible. I don't think it will happen. I think it could though. It could be off the beaten path. That's one thing I think they could do. The other way that they could go about this instead of cutting guys like Schwartz and, uh, and Fisher to just get back under the cap. And this is going to sound insane too they could look for a trade for Chris Jones, a guy who's set to make about 20 million next year instantly would get you back underneath the cap. If you trade him after June 1st. Um, and is a dude that got the bag last year, but has had some chronic injuries, some back injuries, which you don't like for a six, six defensive tackle. Um, and is on a big deal long-term was not as productive this year. And like just showed a weird uncontrollable angry streak this season was picking up personal fouls like every game um, had the big personal foul on a third down against the bucks that cost them a conversion in this game. That was a trend all season long. So if you aren't married to Chris Jones, you could see the chiefs do something similar to what the uh, buck or what the Colts and the Niners did with DeForest Buckner, where they say, we'll trade you Chris Jones to a team, get another first round pick and just use the first round pick to try and draft a replacement. That's not off the table either. That's kind of a radical move move but it's something that i think could be more tangible um, than people think and the other thing that has to happen is they've got to restructure frank clark's deal he's set to make about 18 million dollars this upcoming season he's not played at a level that is worth that um that's one of the top paid defensive ends in football and he's fine he's a good player but he has not been that so they're gonna have to restructure that contract or look to either cut or trade him yeah um i i totally agree with the frank clark part um i don't think the robinson thing is is practical yeah. and too pie in the sky 
it's too it's too high of a pie in the sky and the reason why is like even if they do like open up that cap space who says he's not gonna like ask for more money on a team that actually has cap space in the first possible it's possible it's all about how much he and you can't we can conjecture about this stuff till the cows come home it's all about man to man for him and his heart what matters most to him does he really really want to win does he really at the cost of making millions of dollars care about playing with an elite quarterback and and bolstering his legacy because what he would be able to accomplish in Kansas city is far more significant than what he would be able to accomplish almost anywhere else. And I can almost guarantee that. So how much does that matter to him coming into his second big deal in the NFL? Because he's already been paid once. I think it's possible. I don't think it's probable at all. I also think like, even if they do sign him, they're going to need like, four offensive linemen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. And the, I mean, Luke, like I said, Niang coming back, he'll be one of the tackles next year, That's whether fair. left or right. We don't know. And it's an unproven guy who is going to be a rookie this year, learning from two of the best in the league that sat out. So we, he's a very unproven quantity and commodity in the NFL. So that's a big gamble to take when you're protecting a guy that you're signed on to for 10 years in Patrick Mahomes, like priority one should be protection for that dude. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that is a big gamble to take to do it by, you know, drafting offensive linemen in the first round, trying to bolster your line that way, because the Chiefs have three areas that they're going to need to fix. So secondary playmakers, that offensive line needs a, a retool and a refurbishment, and they need new linebackers in a bad way. You got to somehow find a way to at least address two of those areas. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm no disagreements here. Um, I'm just looking at their free agent list and I see, that Osemele is a free agent. I see Remmers is a free agent, even though he wasn't even good last season. I yeah. see Austin Ryder is a free agent, even though yeah. he had his problems this season. Yeah. Um, but they're still free agents, and those are like guys, offensive linemen on the roster that you need yeah. to replace, that you need like some sort of cap space to replace. Right. Um, I think the getting rid of Frank Clark idea is really smart and, and, and kind of an obvious uh, move to make in terms of his caps hit at 18 million is, is ridiculous, but like, getting rid of that 18 million is going to be hard to do. Like they, it seems right. like they're going to just going to be busy trying to unload on un, offload contracts in order to even try to improve the offensive line before they even get to the secondary receiver right. spot, um, which is my guess would probably just be like a draft replacement again. Right. Uh, if well, I had to bet. By the way, I think the offensive line problem is being magnified in the microcosm of this game. Again, still only a group that without their, two best tackles there at the end really without their best off because Mitchell Schwartz is their best offensive lineman coming into the year without him, without Lauren Duvernay Tardif, who's coming back next year. Again, who knows what kind of shape he's going to be in and how that will affect him after what he chose. I mean, seems like he's staying in shape, but you can only tell so much from Instagram pictures and workout videos. Um, still only gave up 25 sacks this year and was top five in the league. Like, I think that Patrick Mahomes can duct tape together a lot of fixes for an offensive line. Truly, when you're not playing against the best front four in football with elite guys at every position and a little bit of depth to go along with it. Because we didn't even really see McClendon and Raheem Nunez-Rochez, ex-chief, by the way, um, play that much for Tampa Bay. But we're also really good as rotational guys on that defensive line. Not to mention you've got a Hall of Famer in Sue, which training to be a Hall of Fame caliber guy in Vita Vea and Shaq Barrett and a guy I think that's in the Hall of Fame discussion already at this point with three Super Bowl rings and Jason Pierre-Paul as well, right? So, I mean, 
you're just not going to see that in most games, especially when your top two tackles are gone. So I don't know how huge of a problem the offensive line is. You'd like to get stronger there, but I really actually somehow think that the secondary playmaker is actually the biggest thing because with that guy, I think they still beat Tampa. Because there's nobody to beat that one-on-one man coverage matchup on the opposite side because they were rolling coverage to the Tyree kill side every single time with those high safeties. You got Sammy Watkins out there healthy. That frees everything up. Personally, that's what I believe. Because if you watched it, it was off coverage on Tyree kill press man trying to disrupt things on the other receiver. And the Chiefs just couldn't beat that. I think you make a fair point there. Um, and I, and it is, and I think it is, uh, notable to, uh, point out how good this off, I don't know about good, but like how they were able to get away with that offensive line for the entire season because of how good Mahomes is, but they had Eric Fisher for most of the season. And yeah. now I'm not quite sure what his health is. And you yep. take away that one super elite offensive lineman and to go along with Mitchell, the Mitchell Swartz um worries that you said and even when you do get back tardif and you bring in niang it's it's still shaky yeah it's still is. um fisher's yep. not getting any younger um that was a wonderful pick way back in the day <laughs> when yep. they took him first overall but i mean is he going to be the same guy coming off that achilles the answer is probably not so yep. especially as an offensive lineman um so oh, i sure. worry about that if i'm then yeah them regardless yep. of like, absolutely 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 i mean and like it's crazy because fisher's just been one of the most consistent tackles in the nfl nobody really talks about him a guy that i think got wrote, written off as a bust pretty early in his career being the first overall pick i mean luke jokel was the second pick he's out of the nfl so i feel like they picked the right guy between <laughs> the two. um but yeah no like he's just been a baritone in this offense and it, it I think that could be a dynasty-defining injury when you look back at the 30 for 30 about the Chiefs if they make it. Um, what that, that could be a huge moment, that almost insignificant moment at the end of a game against the Bills that they had well in hand that this guy tears his Achilles and nobody really talks about, but is a linchpin in this offense. I think it could be massive in hindsight because he's just a stonewall consistent member of this group. Every single game he's played – um, throughout this long stretch of games in which he's played. So we'll see, man. We'll see. It could it could prove a massive moment, and how they are able to replace him will be colossal And whether or not they get back and play for another Super Bowl next year because I don't think they'll see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in another Super Bowl, and we can talk about their cap situation if you want. Yeah, I was I was just about to mention them. Um, they're, I, I, have, have, I haven't looked into, like, their um... – cap and contractual situation until like just now and uh my eyes just kind of lit up a little bit yep. um Shaq Barrett's a free agent mm-hmm. Levante David's a free agent Gronk's a free agent but he's coming back probably on a lower number um right. Sue is a free agent um Fournette's a free agent Antonio Brown's a free agent even though I think he's probably coming back too uh I, it's I mean, between Barrett, David, and Sue, like that's like half of the of the dominant triumvirate they had in the in the <laughs> in, yeah. in that front seven. Um, and my guess is at, at least one of them's gone, if not two. Um, right. I get, I think David's coming. I would be surprised if Levante David played for anybody else. 
Yeah. Um, he's a buck for life. It's, it's, <laughs> that's just what I feel. I, it would be too weird for, be weird for me to see him on the Colts, you yeah. know? <laughs> so if you were in Indianapolis, but continue. I, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just throwing out a team. Uh, but yeah. like Sue, I'd be surprised if Sue came back. Right. I mean, it it depends on what they want, right? Like, again, it's just impossible to get in these guys' heads and uh, understand the hierarchy of their priorities, right? But, like, Shaq Barrett played under the franchise tag this year, and you can't franchise tag him again because you're paying quarterback money and you're not paying defensive end quarterback money. So that's off the table for him now. He's going to command a massive number. You also have to think about Devin White is entering year three, and for the level he's played at, he's going to start demanding that extension discussion. Yeah, to have now when his stocks at the absolute highest, when people are saying he's the best linebacker in football, which by the way he was billed to be coming out of college at 22 years old, he's delivered on his end of the bargain. He's going to be waiting for the other shoe to drop. That extension is going to be massive and probably reset the market for linebacker, like every major extension does now in the NFL. Um, you know, like you said, Levante David is an interesting piece. Uh, Chris Godwin's going to be coming up here soon. I mean, it's just it, it as Pat Riley described it is the disease of more. When you win championships, everybody wants more money, more playing time, more notoriety, and you can't give it to everybody. And you have to make the right choices to stay relevant. And it's hard, especially when you've got a guy like Brady, who who knows how long his leash is going to be. And you have to, in a lot of ways, old man Brady was propped up by the walker of talents with the little tennis balls on the feet um, that this team was able to assemble and and this, this front office. And they're not going to have that again going forward next year. So I think more than anything, if Brady's able to get back next year, that's even a greater testament to his uh, just winning secret stuff um, in the terms of Space Jam that he has, right? Because yeah. this team is not going to look the same next year, and it's going to be one year older, too, with their veteran pieces. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And, and you mentioned Godwin. He's a free agent, too. Uh, I, I just forgot to mention his name because his cap number is that – his cap hit right now is that low. He's making – his cap hit right now is under a million dollars. <laughs> his 2020 yeah. AAV is under a million bucks. So he's gone. I, I would be stunned if he came back um, because he's got, he's probably what, like a, he's a, he's a double did. He's a 10, 11, 12, 13 yeah. plus million a year player. I would know? say the injury may have hurt because he was so injury riddled this year may have hurt the amount of money he's going to make this year um, in terms of guarantees. But somebody out there, like if you're the Washington football team and you need that receiver, yeah, I'm giving Chris God. I've got all the cast space in the world. I'm giving Chris Godwin a call. I need to get whoever my rookie quarterback is, whoever they decide to go with, somebody to throw at that's not Terry McLaurin. Um, and, and him and Allen Robinson are the first people I'm going to call, right? Um, I think there's a chance that you maybe could like say, hey, A.J. Green, we'll take a flyer on you. Want to come try and win a Super Bowl? Try and replace him that way. Antonio Brown is going to be an interesting question. Um, this offseason as well but I mean Chris Godwin's gonna get a bag from somewhere and I don't know if Tampa Bay is gonna be able to match it I don't think um, so yeah I'd be surprised hard and like that was what really unlocked this offense too is him coming back right so I don't know man it's gonna be we talked about how difficult it's gonna be for the Chiefs to juggle I think the Chiefs will be able to do it I think they're gonna come into next year's Super Bowl favorites again Tampa Bay I mean the, even though they won Las Vegas released the odds, and I'm pretty sure they're fourth right now on the favorites list as the defending Super Bowl champ. So, I mean, take that as you will, but it is going to be very difficult for this team to stay together. Yeah, I'm trying to see exactly how much cap space they're going to have 
heading in the next season. I'm having trouble with that right now in the thing. Calculus. I mean, it's very fluid. Their whole situation. And the other thing is very fluid. It's a weird marriage of like important bets that are already making their money and young players that are coming off the rookie deals all at the same time that are going to demand a lot of money. So, I mean, maybe you move Mike Evans. Maybe that's your answer. Um, I don't know. It's like the same thing with the Saints talking about like trading Michael Thomas as an alleviant to their cap issue. Sometimes a primo receiver you think you can replace um, with other more budget guys. Uh, it, it seems to be a somewhat more replaceable position in the NFL nowadays. So I don't know. Maybe that's their move. Um, the Saints cap situation is a whole other yeah. holy hell that um, yeah. I don't know if we have like right. enough time in the world to go over. I, I think Mina Kimes described it best when she said it was like them paying off credit cards with credit cards. And that <laughs> now, now they're coming to collect is where they're at right now. So NFC South might look a little different next year. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, it, it could be an ugly, you never know. It could be ugly division. Um, but I, I still think that they, the Bucks are still going to be good next year, even if they lose like two of these two or three of these guys because of how weak the NFC South is and yeah. three demanding to win and they're too well coached. And like, there's a whole bunch of reasons, but like the Super right. Bowl itself, that's going to be tough. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. There's going to be massive shakeup across the league. I mean, the biggest X factor domino guy, I mean, we talked about, we haven't talked about Stafford. There's been a lot of talk about Stafford being like the first dude in a long off season of quarterback movement. Everybody's talking about Wentz now and where he goes. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is the biggest domino. And, I mean, they draft, people forgot that they drafted Jordan Love last year. And, like, that obviously frustrated Aaron, right? And after what happened, I'm not – I don't think he will leave this year because of contractual reasons. Um, it's a little harder to move him. But I could see a world where, you know, Aaron Rodgers comes out to play in Jerry's world wearing a, a star on his helmet to start next year or something like that, right? Or I'd, I'd be heads, heads home to go play for the, the Niners, his hometown team, right? I could see a world where we get that kind of tectonic trade, and that changes the landscape of everything because – we know the Chiefs are going to be back next year. We know the Colts are probably, if they're going to find a quarterback or they get to find a quarterback, are going to be right back next year. We know that the Bills are going to be right back next year, right? Cleveland, all these teams, we assume are going to be back in the AFC. I mean, you look at the instability right now with Tampa, New Orleans, Green Bay, all the top teams in the NFC are going to look way different next year probably. So that is a massive question. I think we could see somebody really – really surprising out of the NFC. Like my early pick would be San Francisco. I like San Francisco heading in next year too. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure what their cap situation is either, but if they just say like relatively healthy with some of the elite guys that had, they actually do have locked up and replace Jimmy G all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're probably the favorites out of the NFC. Um, I like the Rams a lot in heading next year. Yeah. Um, not just because they're stuck with the same team. Plus now with Matthew Stafford, a quarterback, I just think I want to, I kind of want to see Stafford in that um, really well-designed, a borderline elite offense, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, the NFC is weird. It's really weird. Um, we, we're not quite sure. I haven't totally looked into like the cap situations of all these teams on the fringes too. Like you mentioned Washington earlier. Um, and I know it's a really weird, weird team to mention in terms of like the Super Bowl, getting to the Super Bowl. Right. But like, I, I'm interested to see like what the depth of that, what that, of that conference is going to be. I doubt it's going to be worse than it was last season, right? Because last season it was like, 
it was just a bad conference top to bottom, which is one of my driving reasons as to why I thought the Chiefs would just kind of like roll yeah, the bucks sure. in this game. Um, so I, it's it's you know, it's gonna be an interesting offseason. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I don't think Roger. For the record, though, I don't think Rogers is gonna move. I'd yeah. be pretty stunned. Um, yeah, I, I just it's feel like five percent chance. There's a pretty small percentage yeah. i would even go lower I, I would actually disagree with you and go even lower oh, than that because like i i mean what's the justification to your fans to to like your to like all the people who own the green bay packers to yeah. trading <laughs> who are also fans to trading um aaron Rodgers when he just won the mvp you know like yeah the no- justification is only the only only if he just says I'm not playing here anymore and I I've made That's enough it. money to where I can yeah and this is it goodbye um trade me now I will not play that is the <laughs> only way this happens and it could happen I mean he is kind of a wild card right like and he knows the clock is ticking to elevate himself into the pantheon of the all-time all-time greats he probably needs that second ring as stupid as that may be and I mean you're looking at it. I mean, Pat's kind of in the same situation where, like, Aaron won that first one. We're like, we're going to see Aaron Rodgers win Super Bowls for a decade. He's only still got the one to show for it. He's only got the one appearance, too. So, for him, I feel like you've got father time with a hand and a scythe in the other on your shoulder. And you're, you're thinking about, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Um, and how can I do my Tom Brady impersonation? Go to a situation where it's a little easier to win. So, I'm not I'm – not, I don't – I don't think it will happen this year because, like I said, there's some contractual holdbacks, um, and he's going to want to go to a win-now situation, which most of the time means that they already have expensive things in place because they're good. Um, but that said, I can see Dallas being a little bit more desperate and making something happen. I think that's possible. I think it's totally possible. And Green Bay also has the luxury of being like, hey, we do have Jordan Love. We drafted him in the first round. Like, I mean, it would not be good, but maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, you know? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it, yeah. I, I, I just don't see him like, you I, can't I, picture him in another one postseason one, uh, one bad postseason result, which was this year. I, I don't see that like implanting his life and going to Dallas. I don't right. Know. Like well, I wouldn't want to go to Dallas. Like that ownership's fair. a mess. Their fair, management's absolutely. a mess, even though they draft well, but it's just like every year they have all this talent and they never do anything with it because they always hire the wrong coach or the defensive coordinator stinks or like, Oh, this guy's out of this guy has some sort of assault charges or, or, yeah. or, you know, or this guy's hurt all the time. Like it's right. Dallas is just a mess. Yeah, um, it, absolutely. It is. I'm just saying like you combine with how he's very calculated with everything he says. Some of the stuff he said in that post game presser um, after the, the Tampa loss. And then you, Couple that with people said he was upset after they drafted Jordan Love instead of drafting him some receiver help this offseason. I know that the year went better than anybody could have anticipated, but you couple those two things, he may just not see a way out. And that's why I say it's like one in four realities. I can see a world where this becomes untenable and he is out of there by the end of the year, right? I don't think it will happen. I would not bet on it. But if you gave me the right odds, I might put a couple. I might sprinkle as my friends in the betting uh, community. So I guess you're a little more confident in that I don't know. Maybe this. I, I don't know. I just feel like this offseason is gonna like he he's gonna you know concentrate on his on his relationship with Shailene Woodley and 
you know, just sort of chill out with some, yeah, with some Jeopardy and yeah, Zen out a little bit. It's it's possible. I, I, everything is there is nothing aside from Patrick Mahomes moving teams. I think that's off the table this offseason. Interesting. I think yeah. Brady coming back to the Bucks is a mortal lock. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, I'll give you that. Like Josh Allen's probably not getting tricked. <laughs> exactly, it's a little bit hyperbolic, but I think we're going to see some insane stuff in the NFL this year as teams try it. And the other implication here, I don't want to go on forever here. I know you've got things to do and I've got things to do today, but like the other implication here is that, I mean, owners are being pressed by the pandemic too. And some ownership groups may want to, you know, get a little bit underneath the cap, um, oh. save some money in the short run. And that's so possible. The, that's that's going to be a factor. So the baseball, so you're putting the baseball yeah. theory on here, all these teams in, in baseball yeah. have, you know, tried to sell off and, and, and right. go way, Boy, way wow. under, you know? Yeah. And yeah. spending less on their entire teams than on entire players and all this mess, yeah. right? But right. I, I don't know. If the, I think football football is fine with their finances, even with the yeah. pandemic. Um, yeah. They, more fans were in their stadium than most other sports for games. And I don't know. I, I, yeah. I And, it, you know, and, and to stay even somewhat, com- and it's hard to like, fully tank in football harder in that sport than it is in others because of how much revenue you lose because there's only eight home games. And like, I, I, it's the reason why I think teams are more willing to like stay in the middle because financially it's just better for them to stay in the middle. Unlike in baseball where you can still make it, make some change, even if you stink because you have 81 home games to make that money off of. Yeah, exactly. Um, The playoff incentives aren't quite as much. Uh, But anyway, like, yeah, I, I I just think that, and everyone's games are more or less nationally televised too. Um, sure. I I just I, I don't know. I I, I just feel like it, teams aren't gonna. It could it could happen. We we haven't really seen like what a COVID post COVID off season is in the NFL. So yeah. um, it'll yeah. be interesting to see. It'll right. I mean, hey, last thing here, but we haven't even talked about Sean Watson, who will likely be on a different team. Yeah, five best quarterbacks in the NFL, and where he goes is going to have massive implications. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. I mean, if he can take that Texans team to like five or six wins, then yeah, imagine how bad the Texans will be next year, and imagine how good the team that he goes on next year could be. So. Right, 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 right. Um, but with that said, uh, Peyton, thanks so much, man, for hopping Absolutely. on talking about the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I feel like we uncovered all the all, all the potential. Uh, you know, storylines and uh, what happened in the game. And I thought we did a pretty good job of breaking it all down. Thanks for hopping on, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for listening to episode 12 of the Koki Chronicles podcast. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and spread the word about the show. And until next time, thanks for listening.